Welcome to King Size Insights with Matt Robinson. Today's guest is Sarah Pierce, author of the global bestseller, The Sanatorium. So welcome to an extraordinary special episode of King Size. I'm really privileged to be joined by the author Sarah Pierce for a chat. And when I say author, what I really mean to say is the number one Sunday Times <laughs> and New York Times best-selling author of The Sanatorium. Sarah's debut novel was a book club pick by Reese Witherspoon, who described it as an eerie atmospheric novel that had me completely on the edge of my seat. Waterstones chose it as their thriller of the month for January, and its frosty, thrilling and deeply sensory fingers have clutched so many readers' hearts since its release. It's just sold more than 500,000 copies worldwide. It is an absolute honour and a privilege, Sarah, to have you on the show. Thank you for carving out this time for us. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, and what an amazing introduction. It was lovely hearing everything summarised like that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been what a whirlwind it must have been for you. Were you expecting it to be this big, or has it taken you slightly by surprise? Uh, I can honestly 100% say totally by surprise. I think probably, and this is something most authors will kind of connect with, I think I all I ever wanted when I first started writing the book was for kind of one person to read it <laughs> and for it to be published. It was very much the case. I was kind of writing it for me. It was kind of a passion project, an idea I was sort of super excited by. And yeah, I genuinely didn't expect anything. I was, I'm not kind of being the humble, oh, I, you know, secretly thought genuinely. I had no idea. I just hoped I'd find an agent was the first step yeah. and then eventually find a publisher so for everything else to happen is like the icing on the top of a very nice cake <laughs> <laughs> amazing so you were writing it primarily for you to make that connection and so just give us a little yeah. sense of, of, of how this beautiful book took shape yeah, no, I actually lived in my sort of early 20s. I moved to Switzerland um, to work for a company and kind of spent the weekend sort of exploring the mountains. Um, and I'd been writing sort of short fiction at the time. So that's kind of where I started with short stories. Um, and I always thought, gosh, this would be an amazing place to set a book. I'm from by the sea where we have quite wide open vistas. And the mountains were amazing, but kind of when storms came in, which they often do in the mountains, it kind of seemed quite an eerie and atmospheric place. You kind of have these huge looming mountains you can't see for miles like you can depending on where you are in the mountains and yeah I just thought this would be a great place to set a book but it was only actually a few years ago when I read an article in like a local Swiss magazine about the legacy of sanatoria in the area did I think wow I've got the idea and there was this amazing amazing image of um an old sanatorium that had been converted actually into a hotel mm. um, and the article spoke a little bit about how sort of winter tourism in the Alps started with these sanatoria in that area um, and then obviously after antibiotics came in some of them were turned into a hotel I I thought, oh my gosh, this could be a great place for an idea for a thriller. How would it feel as like a guest and obviously as Ellen, my detective, to kind of stay in somewhere that had once been this really clinical environment? Yeah. Um, and there's actually a lift station in Crans Montana, which is the resort in Switzerland where we go to, that has actually been kind of converted into a very minimalist modern hotel. And I was kind of inspired by that as well. So yeah, once I had the idea, I furiously started writing and that was that. <laughs> oh, so that idea takes shape. And again, you know, you've got that hook. How easy was it then to, you know, capture that idea and, and you know, turn it, alchemize it into the writing? 
Yeah, that's a really good question, actually, because I think when you get the idea, it's very different between kind of having the idea and kind of getting it on the page. <laughs> yeah, right. <But> I think <laughs> very different. But I think I already had in mind the character of Ellen. Yeah. Um, and I had sort of her backstory. I think she'd appeared, actually, in kind of various guises and various short stories I'd written. Wow. So I had the sort of detective character. And then I kind of, I have to say, it was quite an organic, easy process. I sort of mm. had in mind, I really wanted to write. I'd also read at the same time another article about um, uh, man of a hotel and a guy that a property developer in Switzerland and it isn't based on him <laughs> um but it just I, I find the idea and I'd read this kind of quote and I kind of quoted in the book actually about sort of people wanting men in particular <laughs> wanting to build sort of a monument to themselves and kind of this idea of a of a hotel and that <laughs> that kind of thing and that really struck me and I just had this guy with a bit of an ego and yeah. I just thought how would I sort of work that in? So yeah, it kind of all came from there. It was it was fairly organic. And I did quite a lot of research about sort of sanatoria in general. And that was about six months. And then the writing process kind of took 18 months from sort of end to end, which mm-hmm. was great. Wow. So, so speedy in that respect, once the research had happened, the writing, it sounds yes. like it really, really crackled and came quickly. And as you said, you know, Ellen has made an appearance in some of those short <laughs> stories. And so what, what I loved about the Ellen character so much is how she, she wasn't this super superhero she's a very emotionally vulnerable uh oh, lead that i think yeah. you know was was incredibly human and we could feel a real connection to you clearly she she'd sprung up in earlier work for you the idea of ellen what was your connection to her and and, and did she surprise you in in how she <laughs> developed throughout the story yeah, no, Ellen is someone, and I think it's really interesting people's reactions to Ellen. She's been quite a divisive character, I would say, um, because she is very emotional and open, as you say. And I think people aren't used to seeing that, um, either with sort of mm. protagonists in a kind of a police person role. Mm. I think in a detective sort of character, I think often we see film detectives who have quite kind of male characteristics. Yes. And they're kind of strong in that very traditionally male sense, kind yeah. of they're very physically active. They might suppress their emotions with kind of drinking or that kind of thing so I wanted someone who was able to sort of yeah kind of be very open and and explore how the people around her respond to that because I genuinely believe a lot of people you know people have said oh is it realistic you know that as a detective you would have that kind of side and I think absolutely I think you know you 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 don't know what people are carrying it Mm. with them and I think if you go to any workplace there's lots of sort of suppressed emotion and Mm. I worked for a large sort of corporate organization and lots of the people there kind of particularly in senior roles were very sort of following the same tropes of behavior this very kind of authoritarian clipped not showing their emotions and I just thought I'm gonna I'm gonna mix it up a little bit here (laughs) um which I did but yeah she kind of I think there's parts of me within Ellen and sort of people I know those kind of ideas I think I have some sort of fears and anxieties and Mm. I was just quite interested about putting that into a character and seeing Mm. how people responded and it has been amazing I've had a lot of people saying kind of my feelings of sort of fears or trauma and kind of the idea of the past sort of bubbling up under the present, which you have in both the hotel and with Ellen, they, it really resonated with me and I kind of felt heard. So, you know, as well as it being a really fun thriller, I think, yeah, that was great that I've been able to connect with people in that way as well with Ellen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, you know, you say there's been quite a divisive reaction. I guess on some levels that means you, you're doing it right, okay? Because you're, exactly. spa- you're sparking a reaction. You, you don't want people Definitely. to be neutral about these characters so and I and I wonder if there is maybe some people that might be up this is just my theory threatened by a character like Ellen who is able to go here's emotions and as you said so many of those um 
you know, male detectives we see, you know, Yonesbo's Harry Hole, for example, wonderful character. <laughs> yes. and, and I got a real sense of Nesbo that, that throughout your book as well, really, you know, kind of... Well, it's it, a huge inspiration for me, so... <laughs> oh, no, but, yeah. you know, Harry has, you know, as we know, you know, hugely emotionally suppressed, but incredibly yeah. destructive, and it comes out somewhere. And you've got a character yeah. here in Ellen who is carrying trauma, but is also very much thrown into a situation she's not expecting <laughs> yes. and has those emotions and shows those emotions and wears them. And um, yeah. maybe that device comes because people go, oh, that resonates yes. and they don't like that or they love it. Def <laughs> you know, Definitely. And I think it's a really interesting reaction, particularly from, from kind of women um, when mm. they react to kind of Ellen as a character. I think that idea of showing a weakness, I think, yeah, there's a sense that it even... Yeah, I, I found I found it fascinating, particularly with kind of you know I've had book clubs and people have sort of challenged aspects of her behaviour, which I really enjoy sort of responding to. But I, yeah, I find it interesting. I think it does strike a chord, and I think it kind of yeah plays on people's internal ideas of how they expect people to be in a workplace, and mm. sort of makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable. But like you say, I want a character that people kind of feel passionately about. Yeah. And as an author, it's kind of someone she was quite challenging to write. Definitely the decisions Ellen makes, and not necessarily ones I would make. Mm. But I think that's really exciting because she kind of very much took life of her own which was yeah exciting to write <laughs> yeah I, I bet to see her just form and and as you mentioned you know right. she's so tied to the past and and this for me very much one of the themes Sarah was that the the sense of time and how yes. we can't escape yeah. the past and you know aware of how little separates her mm -hmm. from what came before yeah yeah and that thread that holds us to past events was that yeah. was there a catharsis in, in in writing a character like that who has those ties yeah i really and I, it's something i'm absolutely fascinated by the idea of the past and i think particularly in kind of the current situation going on now i i find it interesting that obviously we study history you know you study at school uh, mm. people study it kind of a further, in further education but quite often i do think we kind of forget things and as a society and as a culture, kind of make the same mistakes. And I just really mm -hmm. wanted to sort of play on the idea that just because mm -hmm. something's in the past doesn't mean it's irrelevant. I think we're in a culture now of kind of very positivity. Let's move on. Let's forget things. But yeah. I think, yeah, there's a bit of a worry in doing that. I kind of wanted to show that no matter much how much you kind of want to sort of push on, the yeah. past is very much there bubbling underneath the surface of things. Yeah. Um, and it's something I sort of play on on the next book as well. Because, yeah, I think our culture now is very much into sort of moving on and, you know, mm. not kind of forgetting that sort of um ideas of the past and I think Ellen as a person she has this sort of very private trauma and I don't I don't want to give away sort of too many spoilers but within the book she has her, her own kind of past to deal yeah. with and then the past of the hotel and I think it made her a little bit kind of yeah challenging as a character to write because I think there are elements within her where she perhaps made the wrong calls because she's a little bit consumed with her own past so I think those parallels are really interesting to play with you have her kind of perhaps not picking up on things with a sort of sibling dynamic because she has her own sibling dynamic yeah. going on so quite often that past is is affecting her present day which was really interesting yeah, right. and, and I love that a character who is making decisions that, you know, might not be the right or the smart decision yes, in the moment exactly, because yeah. there's so much going on. And, and I mean, how human is that, right? Every day <laughs> where we go, why, why did I do that? And it's because we're humans and there's emotions exactly. and there's baggage. Yeah. But it also struck me there's this real thread of, of grief 
that runs through yes. the novel. You know, yes. I love the fact it works as yes, a thriller, absolutely as a procedural yeah. novel, but but it's it's so much so much more layered than that. And you write a sentence that I just want to share with you because it really oh. really spoke <laughs> to me. You write grief. It's like a series of bombs exploding one after the other. Every hour, a new detonation. Shock after shock after shock. I mean, wow, I think it just <laughs> captures what it is like to have loved and lost and then how that then affects us moving forward. And yeah. it's such, such a powerful, powerful capture of, of such a huge emotion that we all, all have as humans, right? Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think... Um, sort of loss of any kind I think when you're younger you don't kind of appreciate in, in a way you know you I lost grandparents when I was younger but it's only kind of as you get older and you obviously experience it more and you have a sort of deeper connection with people I think for me sort of grief is something that kind of catches you unawares and I think that with that line in particular I'm really glad it kind of connected with you I kind of just wanted to portray actually that you know you get over perhaps that initial uh, sort of shock and sort of flash fair of emotion but actually it's kind of further down the line do you kind of realize what you've missed what they will miss um and that kind of thing and I think it kind of carries on and it's something I was speaking about with a book club in America actually we were kind of talking about trauma and again going back to kind of society this idea that you get over things I think you know grief in particular is a process that kind of will never leave you and I think that's absolutely yeah. fine but I think there's an idea in our culture that it's almost like an illness you kind of get through those I know there's this kind of a slightly cliche model of sort of five elements that you kind of get moved through with grief that's right yeah and I totally disagree with that and I don't think it's an illness and I don't think you heal in a way yeah. time can kind of make you more distant from it but yeah I don't think you get over losing somebody that you love because you yeah. always have that loss <laughs> yeah I, I i i absolutely hear you yeah the the, the five stages it's like <laughs> let's map where we are on it well it's not linear is it and no absolutely and it captures yeah. us at various moments and that's what we yeah. see with ellen in particular you know she's got these people going well what decisions are you going to make this rests <laughs> on your shoulders and she's like yeah. okay but right now i might not be able to make a decision because of what yeah. is going on and um yeah but people around her find that troubling actually and yes. I think that's something I really wanted to explore <laughs> is yeah. the idea of people being uncomfortable with grief and with emotion yeah and again I'm kind of coming back to society I think now we're so removed from bad emotions it's kind of seen as <laughs> as, a, as a sort of negative that mm. I think you know we're so removed from death in general mm. um that yeah it makes people feel uncomfortable and even her own sort of boyfriend kind of wants her to sort of get it together and move on. It kind of feels like you've had long enough now. Come on, kind of go back to normal. And um, <laughs> yeah. Ellen can't do that, obviously, because she's real and I try to make her as real as possible. But yeah, I think that really challenges people. Great. Well, we're seeing it at the moment, aren't we, Sarah? That the, the phrase that I hear constantly that really grinds my gears is the new normal. And everyone yeah, goes, yes. right, well, well, we'll get back to normal and things will be normal <laughs> soon, the new normal. It's like, well, what about if over these last two years... We've learned things yeah. that go, well, actually, this works much better for me. And actually, I don't want to just throw that away and go yeah. back to, yeah. well, we've done that. Now let's get back. You yeah, can't... so that's automatically the right way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and people, as you say, people get challenged by that. And when characters and people don't fit in those neat little boxes or go, well, after seven days, you'll have your grief sorted. Yeah. Some people yeah. don't know how to deal with that. And interesting, no. you talk about how you know, especially some of, you know, men building monuments to themselves. Yeah. Often it is that thing, isn't it? Of that, um, that yeah. hierarchy that, that used to exist, you know, it still does. That's being smashed bit by bit of 
you know, the male way of approaching things and what yes. gravitas actually is. Yeah, is- this is something I find fascinating. <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was within, and this is why I think Ellen has troubled people a little bit, because, yeah, I, I found it in the workplace. Like if you're enthusiastic or if you're, I don't know, yeah, just overtly perhaps emotional, that's seen as something negative and you can't yeah. be seen as someone authoritative or you can't be seen as intelligent if you behave in a certain way. And I think, yeah, you've got to kind of smash through that. And I think there are actually, you know, female traits, which often probably men feel as well, <laughs> but feel they can't express yeah. because it's kind of looked down on. I think actually, you know why not be open to that way of approaching things why not in a meeting you know you have an emotional discussion about something you know Mm. I I think that idea that you have to behave in a certain way is very sort of outdated Mm. and I'm hoping you know as we go forward that things are a little bit more open Mm. yeah well and again and characters like Ellen and books like Sanatorium play a part in that because it gets us talking gets book clubs talking gets people that read this talking and going well I love this character. You didn't. What, what's going on there? What's what's causing yes. that reaction? Yeah. And I think the idea, one of the things which people have kind of called out upon is they, they kind of get upset by sort of Ellen's what they consider a weakness. And I think in terms of being overtly emotional, and I do think that plays into sort of our society's kind of, uh, yeah, particularly in the UK, probably. I know that sounds awful. <laughs> it's the US, but kind of that idea of sort of repressing emotion. Um, yeah, stiff, are uncomfortable. stiff upper lip, right? And yeah, the stiff upper lip, that's, that's kind of like, yeah, very challenging for people to sort of deal with. And I find that really interesting as well. And I think, why is that seen as a weakness that you are kind of open about, I'm feeling this way, deal with yeah. it kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, well, we're known, aren't we, uh, uh, in the UK is, you know, people go, well, you say one thing, but obviously that's not what you mean (laughs) because culturally we hide what's going on um so i love the fact that as you said she she surprised you and started to take shape and really bring those emotions but as alongside ellen you know what i found so striking is the sanatorium itself the building le sommeil is equally a a character in its own right within the novel what was that like to bring that character you know bring bring the building as such an integral character yeah well it was it was actually really exciting because as I say it was very much the building itself in the initial article I read that kind of really captured me so I kind of spent a lot of time sort of researching the architecture and that kind of thing and I really wanted to get the building right but I have to say I don't think I ever planned the building to be as much of a as a, of a character as it became yeah. it was amazing as I was starting to write I kind of had lots of ideas and you know the various things with the artifacts displayed in the glass boxes um etc <laughs> which I know has given a few people nightmares yeah, um, yeah that <laughs> That, those kind of elements very much grew but yeah it was it was fascinating for me and I have to say even now I could walk around the building in my head yep. it's so so vivid to me um, and that's really exciting as an author I think you know you have an idea that you want to write when you feel that way um, and yeah I could very much feel the building almost as a living thing um, and there's a book by um, Sarah Waters called The Little Stranger where she has a building called Hunter's Hall which um yeah, captured me in that way. And that was very much an inspiration for how that became kind of a character. Um, And even that building, again, I could kind of walk around. I think it's amazing when someone can conjure somewhere that you can kind of sort of live and breathe. Yeah, complete. As you said, it's a living thing. I I could so picture the the building i could so picture the labyrinthine feels to it exactly what's yeah. in the glass boxes it was so vivid and i find myself even when i wasn't actually reading it you know when i put the book yeah. down 
it was there playing in my mind. I was thinking of the shape, the geography, the angles, <laughs> the hidden spaces. Yeah. And as you said, yeah. you managed to conjure and capture it so clearly for those of us oh, that have never been, you know, last two years haven't left Reading. <laughs> so but thanks to you know, thanks to your yeah. book, you transport us somewhere, which at times I was thinking, I really don't want to be here because it is <laughs> it's chilling. I mean, yeah. there are moments where there is absolute, there's, you know, it's, it's really chilling. It's really graphic. It really goes for the jugular, yeah. which I love. Yeah. Yes, it's kind of becomes a slightly malevolent force, actually. And I think yeah. it's really interesting because it kind of played, you had the external geography of, of Switzerland and the mountains mm, and that kind mm. of thing to play with. But it was really good with Ellen. You had sort of two kind of things in the environment that were sort of out to get her in a way I kind of felt you had the hotel and then you had the sort of external environment you have the avalanche and the storm so in terms of sort of adding tension and sort of pushing her to her very limits you really do do that with kind of two elements at play which was really fun <laughs> yeah and it had echoes for me of you know and I know for a lot of our listeners of of the Overlook Hotel in Stephen King's The Shining nice, uh, again yeah. a building that has a malevolence and is a force to be reckoned with so as you yes. say the protagonists have to deal with that alongside all the human uh, you know, battles they're fighting externally and, and internally as well. Yeah. And the nature you captured, Sarah, there, the, the beauty of it, but also the, the, the savage, the savageness yeah. of the, and the cold. Yes. Um, how, how were you able to capture a sensation so clearly and put it on the page yeah it's probably to be honest just a lot of time kind of spent in the mountains it's somewhere that I find particularly coming from by the sea and we don't get snow here very often <laughs> um, <laughs> down in Devon it's kind of it's a complete sensory overload we kind of arrive we we leave here and then we arrive in Switzerland yeah. and yeah you're just you're just in a completely different environment there's something very magical about it but also yeah in a storm you know we have been in storms nothing kind of serious no avalanches mm. but yeah it is there's amazing kind of sensations you feel everything from the wind biting there's kind of just sensations you don't get here in the UK mm, which mm. is amazing and I was able to hopefully capture them because I felt them lots and yeah I could I could imagine myself in a situation where I couldn't escape and sort of playing on my own fears a little bit with yeah. the external environment I do find we live by the sea and the sea is which plays into sort of my next book the sea is very similar to the mountains it can kind of turn against you in an instant mm, it becomes yeah. something very friendly, very nice, but equally you're like a tiny dot amongst it, which yes. yeah, I'm really interested in. And Sarah, I've heard you say before that you're you're drawn to the dark and the creepy. <laughs> yes. What is it? What is it that, that pulls you there? Yeah, I, it's interesting, actually, the sort of dark side of things. I'm not actually a big sort of fan of um, sort of horror films or anything too graphic. It's kind of a little bit too much for me. But just I'm very just interested in general. Again, it's sort of a bit similar to sort of the past bubbling beneath things, that kind of darker side. I think there's a lot that we don't um, sort of explore about kind of things, uh, our environment, but also ourselves. And I think that's something kind of we see with Ellen, with her brother and sort of the characters around her. How much do you ever know someone else? I find it quite a terrifying sort of idea that you can be really close to someone, but not know necessarily what they're capable of and yeah. everything about yeah. them. That for me is kind of the biggest horror. You could be with li living with someone and not know them fully. <laughs> 
And I think we kind of play on all of those sort of fears. And yeah, the sort of dark and creepy side of landscapes and environment. I'm just drawn to sort of everything. Yeah, that you kind of feel there's more that's gone on. Um, mm. Things with a rich history. I love sort of abandoned buildings and kind of mm. repurposed buildings. So buildings yeah. that, you know, you have hotels that want prisons or schools or, yeah, I just believe that kind of energy is definitely there. I've kind of been environments. We've got sort of ruins of a castle near us. Yeah. And I do believe that kind of energy lives on. Yeah, I think you can feel that in old buildings. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I guess it's similar in a way, isn't it, to, to to a human that holds on to those echoes of the past and the stories yeah. that have happened before. We've spoken yeah. here, haven't we, of how grief isn't yeah. just something that you just go, "Oh yeah, great, I, I, I'm done with that <laughs> so in 24 hours." We hold on mm-hmm. to it. it; it shapes us. And in the same way that like, you're just saying, the buildings retain those yeah. stories and those energy, mm-hmm. and and sometimes yeah. the dark energy, the malevolence. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I think I'm fascinated in the past kind of how our sort of moral codes change as well. I think in kind of what is acceptable and what's not. And I think the idea that kind of things might have happened, I kind of touch on this in the next book that kind of wouldn't happen now. It's amazing, isn't it? Like when you think back at the war, and the Holocaust, what people thought were acceptable. And actually the passage of time isn't huge between now and then, but it's just amazing what one generation to another, you can kind of, yeah, how things change and what people are capable of. And, and could it happen again? Look at the situation now. You've mentioned, obviously, that there is a, a new novel that, that is coming out. Um, yeah. And tell us what you can about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well Ellen kind of is escaping the mountains which I think she's quite relieved about actually so she's coming from a very cold environment to a very sort of warm environment that's what I can definitely say that but yeah she's sort of it's um on an island it's based on sort of a fictionalized version of an island near me on the coast so we're going to the sort of extremes but it was really exciting for me to sort of write about somewhere locally um, and it's a place that's always captured my imagination lots of sort of rumors swirling around it so yeah Ellen's based on an island but it's been it's really interesting her boyfriend Will we kind of meet obviously in the sanatorium we learn yeah. he's an architect um, and something I can kind of give away actually is he um, is actually the architect for the retreat in the book which is located on the island so we've got a really sort of interesting dynamic from the get-go and we have a sort of another dark and creepy case on the island but at the kind of retreat he's designed so um yeah it's a little bit different in that we have a kind of group of sort of family members a sort of family that's been sort of yeah I wouldn't say they're kind of um uh, not antagonistic with each other but there's sort of an interest in dynamics between them but they're coming together for a holiday and we kind of follow them alongside Ellen uh, on a case yeah well, I'm one of the many that can't wait to read that. So <laughs> half a million sold. And obviously, you know, those yeah. numbers are just racking up day by day. I mean, when <laughs> you when you obviously were writing Sanatorium, there's a debut novel. Yeah. You know, there was there a pressure or was there a freedom, you know, and how might it compare to writing the follow up to a book that, you know, has been a huge global success? <laughs> No pressure, right? Great great pressure. No pressure. (laughs) No, it's like when you're writing the first one, I could genuinely take, you know, you can not take as much time as you like because you want there to be an end point. But yeah, you don't have that sort of deadline hanging over your head, which is sort of initially one of the biggest things. So when you're writing that second book and I was writing it during the pandemic with my children at home and yeah, everybody at home. So that was a different experience in one way. But one thing that was really nice about sort of writing the second book is that I knew Ellen really well and I kind of had set the scene for sort of lots of dynamics there's sort of lots going on with her boyfriend Will um sort of his family members I had lots of ideas actually when I was writing the sanatorium of how I might kind of continue um Ellen's story 
So that was really great in some way. But yeah, I think you have to sort of push away the idea of any pressure. I didn't know it was going to be a success. So I think it was just a huge bonus. And I think in writing the second book, you can just write, again, a story that you're really excited by and you just hope kind of people connect with it. I don't know how it will be received. I hope people will love it. But um, yeah, you've just got to, in a way, cut that loose because I think otherwise you probably wouldn't write a word. (laughs) Yeah, and as you said, right from the beginning, you, you know, when you wrote Sanatorium, you were writing just with that expectation that, you know one person yeah. would love it <laughs> exactly. because that could yeah. that that can be life-changing for that person so i guess yeah. is it are you still able to hold on to that value or does that get harder with the success yeah, yeah no it doesn't actually and i think for me oh. i was always kind of very interested in readers as opposed to sort of the whole idea of I know it sounds odd of being sort of an author and that kind of public side of it. For me, it was very much, I'm at my happiest when I'm writing. Mm. Um, And I love that connection with readers. So when a reader sort of messages me on Instagram or one of my social platforms, I love that kind of engagement. And it's amazing during lockdown, how I was able to do sort of all of the Zoom book club calls and kind of connect with readers directly. So that for me is the excitement and still is the excitement. When I get kind of something through from a reader over in the States, just going, oh, your book really spoke to me. Or lots of people have said it's the first book I've been able to finish in sort of five or 10 years, which was amazing Amazing. because it was a page turner. So your book switched me back onto reading because it was kind of like people have said it's a proper story and it's obviously subjective, you know, but yeah, that for me was huge because I wanted to write a book that, yeah, was really brought me back to what I loved about reading as a child um, is the sort of good old fashioned stories um, with lots of excitement and adventure and hidden areas. And, you know, as well as the other stuff we've discussed, there is that element of plot, which I'm really excited by that idea of, you know, finding and exploring and discovering and, yeah, that's something I don't haven't always. I wanted to write a book that I would enjoy reading, so I'm yeah. glad it connected in the same way. Uh, and with that plot, Sarah, did you, um, you know, without giving away too many tricks <laughs> in your trade or the magic, did yeah. did you outline that um, plot? Because I know, you know, obviously when we talk about Stephen King books, he's very uh, clear about he doesn't do an outline. He kind of just goes with wow. the character, sees where it goes. Um, yeah. What was your process for actually the the plot? Because as you say, that's an integral part of of this wonderful novel. Exactly. And I really admire people, particularly kind of thriller writers or sort of genre writers in general who who don't plot at all. Um, And I have to say, like, I have sort of um, a book that I'd started writing, which was slightly sort of more of a family drama where I hadn't plotted in the same way. And I felt it kind of meandered. Um, So I was very sort of strict with the plotting with this book. And I had definitely had certain kind of elements within the plot that I knew I wanted to hit. Mm. And I really was really key about sort of the midpoint of the book and that kind of thing. And I think, yeah, for me, having that has been a freedom. So having a structure is a freedom. So I didn't have any every scene mapped out. And again, I admire people who know <laughs> and can think of all those scenes and don't deviate. But I had a loose sort of structure of sort of points I needed to hit within the yeah. book and knew where Ellen was going and her kind of character arc. Mm. Um, but beyond that, kind of things evolved as I went along, which is really nice because I think as an author, it's nice to sort of tell yourself the story to a degree. You don't want to kind of have everything mapped out. But yeah, for me, there's freedom in in knowing where the book is going and knowing yeah. how you're going to end it. Um, I couldn't I couldn't work in that way, but I admire people who do. <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes total total sense. And so you you've got it mapped. You know, you've got this plot, you've got the ideas, and then obviously yeah. you're also having to homeschool 
The yeah. kids are at home. There's lockdowns <laughs> going on. I mean, yeah. for most of us, just being able to try and get through an hour of maths was enough. You were yeah. having to do that. And also you wrote this novel. I mean, how, I mean, first of all, amazing. And how, how, oh, thank did, you. how did you juggle all of those demands that, you know, them, that, that maybe at the moment you just wanted to sit down and write, but you got to juggle all yeah. these other things. How was that? <laughs> I probably juggled it quite badly, actually. <laughs> I definitely, I'll be honest, I definitely had my deadline extended <laughs> because I just couldn't. <laughs> there was no way with my original deadline. It was like after day two of homeschooling. And yeah. it was kind of my oldest was very much kind of able to work on her own, but the youngest kind of needed my help with the mouse and moving the computer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I couldn't. There was no way. And actually, it was. I was writing at the same time the Reese news came out and I had all the publicity for that to do. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was crazy. And I definitely kind of had to put the writing on hold while I was doing the publicity and sort of the bulk of the homeschooling. But yeah, I just had to be really kind of considered about when I wrote. So it would kind of be like my husband would take my children out at the weekend and then I'd kind of write. But it was a shame because my writing tend to be squeezed in what should have been down to yeah, <laughs> because right. my usual working day was obviously taken up with the homeschooling yeah. so yeah it was really hard and I'm, I'm someone who kind of likes to write in silence the editing not so much I find mm. I love the editing process and I can kind of have a bit more noise around me mm, but that yeah. kind of very creative where you just need to sit down and write I need silence that was so tough <laughs> yeah. Yeah. as you know silence during lockdown silence with kids at home it's possible <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> as well as your own head I think like there's oh. so much news the doom scrolling I oh. genuinely after a while just had to there was this one doctor Dr John I think it was on YouTube who was giving these daily updates and I kind of got a bit obsessed with that and then at one point I said right stop right uh, <laughs> no uh, more Dr John no, yeah, no more doom scrolling well, my wife said it to me the other night I woke up at like four in the morning and you know just the the brains whirring with everything and what's going exactly, on and globally yeah. she's like are you are you doom scrolling I was like Actually, at the time, I was like, oh, I'm actually looking at Wordle. But <laughs> but I remember doing... No, but it the... does, it gets, yeah. But yeah. it does, it gets kind of in your head, doesn't it? And it, you kind of, yeah. So and I think does. the availability of the news, like on Twitter or all of those kind of, I think we've become little armchair experts, don't we, about things, which we, isn't we always healthy. <laughs> no, which is why, again, the power of escapism, the power of being able to fall in love, those writers, yeah. those those readers that wrote to you, and said, you know, you're the first book I finished in five years. You've got me back into reading. You know, it's 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 needed. You know, and, and thank God you're out there doing it. It's uh, it's oh, it's you. really really needed. <laughs> Um, but yeah, absolutely. That that doom scrolling is is just something that that we do, and then to be able to just shut that out with being able to, yeah. because it's the thing is it when I read Sanatorium. It's that neural coupling that happens between the reader yeah. and the author. I feel like I'm able to go through what's going on. All of my brain's activated, but I'm, I know yeah. I'm able to do it from the safety and warmth of my bed. And, you know, yes. yeah. to be transported as a, re as a reader, that's what we want, right, as readers. Absolutely. I mean, I read, it was, it was amazing, actually. I read like an Instagram kind of quote of just somebody had said something. It was just a, a sort of a, on a read, a blogging sort of platform. And they said, how amazing. You kind of vividly, you kind of look at a piece of paper and vividly sort of hallucinate. And I thought, actually, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And I'm with my children and we're on holiday and we're all reading. And I just thought, how amazing that we're all kind of not in the room. We're in a completely different world. And I hear my yeah. daughter kind of 
she's got into a sort of a, a horse series, adventure horse series. I can't think of the author actually, but my husband read as a child and how she talks about it, it is real for her. She's saying, oh, mummy, you know, the horse has done this and then he's fallen in a hole. And, but for her, it's real. She doesn't really see a distinction between the reality she's in talking to us and that world. And I think yeah. that is amazing. And to do that in a book, I think the best kind of books as a child, I sort of loved Enid Blyton and Roald Dahl and yeah, that kind yeah. of like sense of adventure and being immersed in a story. Yeah, yeah, still I love now. I seek that out, that kind of, yeah, that sense of adventure. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned that, you know, you wrote it as a book that you would want to read yourself. And I love that fact that yeah. you're coming at it with that connection immediately with being a reader yourself. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and remembering those connections. Yeah, my one of my daughters is horse mad as well, like yours. Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> and at the moment she's just reading, you know, the follow up to War Horse, and I could just see she's like, "But what happens? If the, will the horse be okay?" And will the, because it's so real, and there's such an investment there. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? If someone can do that kind of, and I think another yeah. great writer is Anthony Horowitz. My daughter's oh, reading yeah. the Alex Ryder series, and that kind of again adventure. And we're watching the TV series at the moment, and it's uh, set. It's funny in an old sanatorium, actually, Point, point Blanc, I think they've got. <laughs> and she's really, she's in the world. She's a spy, yeah. and she just said, "I actually feel." And reading a lot of the Inner she actually says, "I, mummy, I feel like I'm a sort of a ghost on the edge of the room, and I'm oh, kind of that's in beautiful. with them." And I thought, yeah, that's that is how you feel as a reader. You're kind of there, lurking, aren't oh, you, with yeah. the characters? <laughs> it's so that, cool. That's such a cool way to such a cool way to capture yeah. that. And that you know, obviously, that connection between um, the readers and your book, but also mm -hmm. the connection that you have with the readers, as you've mentioned, you know, on yeah. Instagram. I'm just, I love how connected you are to your oh. readers and how when, you know, every day, you know, so many posts that people share with you of, uh, of <laughs> them with a copy of the sanatorium <laughs> and reviews and people getting involved. And you are just so kind with your time, which must be really, really in such... Uh, short supply but you always oh. reach out and connect with them and I think it strikes me I, I the bond that you have with your oh. readership is is really special right yeah and for me as I said go kind of going back to it, it was the most sort of important thing and a few people you know lots of people say oh how do you sort of have the time but genuinely if people are taking the time to kind of message me and write a review and take a really yeah. nice photo I consider it the least I can do to sort of say thank you and sort of glad you enjoyed the book and I genuinely I do write for the readers so for me it, it isn't a kind of chore I know that sounds really odd but I just yeah, that's why I write. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that for me is it's a pleasure when someone says I loved your book and I can say, oh, thank you. That's amazing. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I, I could I could see it. I can see how much you're buzzing. And it's just it's just a joy because there is that connection there between, you know, between all of these people globally, you know, and, and yes, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> that's that's amazing, isn't it? And this is, you know, yeah. again, just to stress, you know, it's half a million copies sold, but that's only in the English language. Right. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I have to say I don't have sort of I think that must come later I don't have sort of sales figures for the other countries so yeah that is just the English language so yeah it's crazy to think that is amazing <laughs> yeah and, and also on Instagrams and on mm. social seeing you know the beautiful um videos that were made you know to promote the book you know that have a filmic quality and I mean <laughs> right Sarah the, this is crying out to be made you know it's so cinematic 
Yeah, it's interesting you actually say sort of the cinematic side of things, because I think probably how I write is quite cinematically in the sense I see things mm. kind of, I'm a very visual person, so kind mm. of I see things as sort of scenes in a way yeah, <laughs> from yeah. a film, so I'm glad that came across. But no, I can openly say the news kind of hasn't been officially announced, but it's sort of out there. The film rights have been sold, so um, yeah, fingers crossed. Okay, so so you they come to you and they go, Sarah, so listen, this is your creation. <laughs> You're the casting director now. Who could you see playing Ellen? I kind of actually had scrapbooked um, uh, one of my inspirations for Ellen, but it was kind of an amalgamation of a few people. And I'd shared an image and someone said, oh, actually, that's a French actress, which I didn't know. <laughs> I thought it was just a model in a magazine. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying, I don't know her name, actually. There's a French actress which people had said, oh, yeah, that is um, Ellen, who you've described her. But, yeah, I don't know if you have an idea of who you could see. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny you say about French, actually. I, I kind of was almost thinking, I, I, I think she, she's not the right age for Ellen, but, like, uh, someone, an actress like Juliette Binoche, someone like that who oh, has, yeah. yeah, that real kind of, there's a, there's a vulnerability um, yeah, and there's yeah. something of a fragility, but also a real strength and real uniqueness. Oh, yeah, I um, like that idea. Yeah. Some, you know, an actress yeah. who can capture all of that. So you say about having, you know, um, when, when you write, you need the the, the silence, and um, but when editing is a different, um, you know, can be a different beast. Yeah. How? What was the editing process like for Sanatorium? Yeah, no, it was actually relatively sort of straightforward, I think, in terms of because probably I'd spent quite a lot of time polishing the book. And I think it's quite different when with your debut, you obviously you polish it because you want it to be the best it can be before you send it to an agent. And then you spend time with your agent, obviously doing that before you send it to a publisher. Whereas with the second book, you're sort of working more with your editor directly and it's slightly more collaborative. Um, But yeah, so the editing process was quite straightforward. And I think actually both my UK and US editor, because that's a dynamic I didn't know lots about how that Mm. worked between the two, um, because obviously they both have their own ideas. So yeah, we kind of all have to work as sort of a group um, and the manuscript gets shared between them. But yeah, it was relatively straightforward. And I really enjoy, in general, the editing process. I think once you have that plot down, kind of perfecting things on a line-by-line basis is just very fun for me. And I know it's not the same for other authors. But yeah, I just love that idea of kind of hearing. I I like to get a sentence. So when I hear it in my own head, I think I can't do any more to that. And there's something very satisfying. It's the kind of very process-orientated part of me that goes, yes, done, chapter done. And I tick tick them off, which is really nice. Was there any lines or moments that you had to fight for that there was pressure coming at you from maybe <laughs> for, from other reasons that they things people wanted to change things yeah no I think there always are lines that kind of perhaps don't resonate with people yeah. or kind of they feel as superfluous and I think as an author you have to just be really humble it, to a certain degree and just be kind of you might be wedded to something, but if it's like an overly descriptive line, which, you know, isn't necessarily necessary to the plot, you kind of, you see the red line, like the virtual red line on screen and think, ah, they've cut that one out. But actually what's really fascinating over time, a lot of those things you realise, actually, I didn't need them in. So that's where the editors come in kind of really handily. I think you get so used to your own writing, it's hard to see the wood for the trees and know what's mm. superfluous. And I think the thriller, there are, you know, you've got to set the scene and you've got to have that description, but you can't kind of go on for too long. Um, and I think that's where the editor comes in handy because they're not so emotionally invested in the in the book mm. or the characters and, and yeah. what you've written. They can kind of put that line through it. So um, there were lines I fought for and kept in, but there are other lines that I was like, yeah, actually, that's a good point. That can go. 
And I think there's elements because you do know the plot really well. So, for example, there's something in book two that I'm writing now that kind of said, oh, is this line necessary? And it's kind of actually something that might hint at book three. Mm. So obviously only you as the author would know that. So, yeah. But I mean, I have to say the editing editors in general are really sort of open to your ideas. It is very collaborative. So they are able to say, okay, great. You want to keep that line. And yeah, Yeah. you kind of go from there. Yeah. And interestingly, just jumping back for a moment to the the cinematic uh, aspect of it, because again, you know, we're seeing now what can happen with streaming and the beauty of being able to have a story but not have to truncate it into maybe an hour and a half or two hours Uh, and I also think you know that this novel and Ellen's further adventures I'm sure could lend themselves really well to you know a nice you know six episodes (laughs) where we can take the time because there's so many twists within the novel right Yes, There's so many, you, you end your chapters with always <laughs> a real cliffhanger, which again is such a wonderful narrative technique to get to make us just, yeah, it was very hard to just read one chapter. <laughs> all right. Because, <laughs> oh, you know, it's like when the thing starts scrolling next episode, you go, well, I shouldn't, but I've got to. Actually click. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think this could really lend itself as well, perhaps, you know, to, to, to that format. Definitely. And I think I agree with you. And that's something we discussed kind of when you sort of, you know, meet sort of virtually with people who are sort of interested in it, in it. That's something that is discussed. Would it sort of lend itself to a film or kind of more of a series? And I think Ellen has quite a backstory as well. And I think, you know, you would want the time to sort of develop that. Um, and also, you know, the, the kind of secondary plot you have running along with sort of her finding out what happened to her brother and that kind of thing. And I agree. Yeah. I don't know how in a film you'd perhaps do that. I don't know. Yeah, because yeah, again, the narrative technique you had, I was so impressed by the control you had over it because you gave us these little um fleeting flashbacks uh, of <laughs> yeah. uh, of an event that happens and again this you know doesn't give any spoilers away but you know as a reader we're seeing we're jumping back to something has happened okay that's informing yeah. what's going on now but you are able to pace it and keep your cards to the, your chest until it's right to for the story to be revealed yes how are you able to balance that without not you know you know having that restraint yeah it is really hard because I think you also often you kind of it's it's the perils of of being a debut it's kind of the info dump at the beginning of the novel <laughs> where, yeah. where you kind of just want you think I should tell them everything so they know the character but I think that's just something you kind of have to sort of pull back on and it's like you say just working out actually I can sort of drip feed that information and as long as the reader isn't feeling cheated like you're kind of deliberately you know sort of withholding too much I think you've got to there's a balance between getting to know that character and then as you say sort of dropping it at the right moment for sort of maximum dramatic sort of impact and I think with Ellen it worked quite nicely because she had been away from Isaac for a while I think that sort of revelation without giving too much away the revelation that happens it wouldn't have worked at the beginning because they don't have that relationship yet it's kind of it's building throughout the novel she's questioning him she's suspicious of him they have kind of various confrontations and I think it kind of worked that it in the terms of the narrative that it came out when it did I don't think you could have done that sooner in a way and I have to say that's something you work through lots I mean I had definitely had more at the beginning in the first draft and then that's something I just sort of yeah through sort of editing and the actual process I was kind of learned to become more restrained I'd say (laughs) yeah yeah well I mean obviously we've got the retreat uh coming up when is that when's the release 
plans for that do we know so that's in, in july and i'm just trying to get the dates right i think we're july the 19th for the us and yeah. i think the uk is maybe three days later or two wow. days later okay. so kind of yeah at the end of july so it kind of works because the book is set kind of yeah in a heat wave so um perfect. yeah hopefully that will work perfectly <laughs> well, absolutely perfect well i uh, that's the thing reading sanatorium when it was so cold and crisp and obviously you know the paperback you know dropped didn't it during the winter <laughs> over here here and then i love it so the retreat will come out when we're hopefully going to have our uk heat wave that will last longer than just a week (laughs) (laughs) and then moving forward i mean i you know as a reader i'm a huge fan of collections you know again we mentioned yonesbo and the harry hole collection where you just discover uh, a character or a writing you go oh my god and there's like five or seven of them and <laughs> yeah. you see that happen with Ellen yeah. is there a sense maybe that there are many many adventures to be had yeah I mean Ellen is a character it kind of depends I think a little bit I have like an idea for the third book and kind of um without giving away too much something that's sort of at the end of the sanatorium sort of yeah there's kind of a sort of little plot rolling through which you know may come to a conclusion in the third book or may not um but yeah I kind of have a sort of narrative arc that I'm working on there but yeah beyond that I think Ellen and sort of her family she's got a obviously an interesting relationship with her brother and we don't know too much about her father so as a character there's sort of lots of room to play with but I also have a, a, a really oh gosh sorry very exciting idea for a standalone um another thriller so yeah I'm kind of juggling between those but definitely a book three will be another Ellen book and then a standalone and then yeah, yeah potentially coming back to Ellen I think she's got lots more stories to tell <laughs> but are you a writer that is, is able to write uh, like a, a couple of books or parts of them at the same time or <laughs> how, how might that work do you think oh you're reading my mind this is so okay. strange <laughs> <laughs> I've not usually but actually because the standalone I've got an idea that I'm sort of hugely excited by so it's kind of there's restraint because obviously I'm you know on deadlines for various things and yeah. will be so it might well be that that kind of is written <laughs> in parallel with the with the third book oh, just wow. because I can't stop myself but yeah. yeah when you have an idea you're really excited by and both book the Ellen book three I have a really yeah exciting idea and then book four so it might be that yeah both of them <laughs> I have a two two journals um side by side then to just do a standalone I guess with that there must be a it will almost maybe feel like uh, without any weight attached to it there might be even Definitely. more of that freedom to it because it's standalone yeah, absolutely. And I think with Ellen, she obviously, you do know the character. And I think there's an excitement, again, like as you said, kind of it, without the baggage of learning something new about another character. And I have a character very much in mind and can't say too much, but another really exciting sort of location, a really interesting location that I hadn't heard lots about, which really interests me. So yeah, there's a really ex- excitement in kind of work, seeing how that will unfold. And again, I've only sort of toyed with the edges of both the idea for the Ellen book three and this kind of book four. And there's a real excitement in kind of digging into that and telling yourself the story. So um, yeah, I'm trying hard to restrain myself as I'm still working on book for book two. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a sense as, as your readers, as, as, as Sarah Pierce, the author, when, you, when you're capturing those ideas, do you, do you capture them on your phone? Do you write them down? What's your way to trap those uh, sparks? Yeah, I'm very much 
anti-digital for writing because mm. I I do go onto my laptop when you absolutely have to when it gets to editing and that kind of thing. But I'm very much someone who the initial ideas flow on paper. Yeah. So um yeah, for me, I've already kind of written, I've got like a notebook for my book three. And I've already, when I was on holiday, the ideas, because I had a little bit of headspace, were coming sort of freely. And I sort of write down on paper and then will transfer to the laptop. But I have to say, even when I'm editing or making big sort of structural changes, I'm someone who goes through the laborious process of printing things out to read. It just yeah. doesn't get into my head digitally on the laptop. Yeah. I can't see my scenes. It's transformative. I could work on a scene on the laptop for four hours and not do what I could do in 15 minutes with it printed out. Yeah. It's crazy for me. <laughs> but it makes total sense to so many of us. There's something I think about that tactility, isn't there? And about Definitely, that connection yeah. with the page. And yeah. it's just so robust. And I mean, again, from yeah. a reader's point of view, it, it's why. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, the Kindle absolutely, ser- you know, serves a really great purpose. But yes, yes. I like the physical copy because there's something about holding it, the crack in the yeah. spine, the weight of it. It's, um, yeah. there's a connection. And I think it goes into your brain in a different way. I'm sure there must be I something. I really, yeah, I, I will happily read on the Kindle. And often I'm reading some early copies of books, which are only available digitally. Yeah. But I just, I don't, I don't connect in quite the same way. Same way. It's very odd. I, I think because maybe we're, we're so used to when we're looking at a screen or doing something digital, we're so yeah. used to scanning or maybe go, that's what it is. working yeah. quicker. Whereas with a book, you, you, you're tethered to that, the way that print or the font yes. looks and it just feels like a commitment in the same way that <laughs> you know I, I'm I'm one of the old fuddies that plays vinyl because I like the commitment yeah. of going right I'm not gonna skip a track I make a choice yeah. and I take it out and I put it on yeah I, I spent no, the last I years buying all the vinyl I sold from when I was younger you know but in <laughs> all, that rebuying oh just rid- ridiculous and I could see my daughters looking at me going dad why you know it's all like <laughs> but then the other day you know just seeing you know my oldest daughter just curled up with a book and it's taken a while to get her into reading but just yeah. she was just left by herself and normally she's like dad how much longer how much longer and just she was there curled up with a book going you know, not asking what the time was because yeah. time gets lost when you lose yourself in in, in a great book, don't you? It does. No. It is. It's that hallucination, isn't it? You kind of, you're fully immersed. And I just think the idea, that's why I love kind of thrillers. I love things that kind of keep you turning the pages. And I think if yeah. you can do that and kind of maintain the spell for longer, I think if you have to put things down, you kind of break that. And I think books that can kind of keep you going, you stay immersed in that world. And that's quite magical. <laughs> yeah. And two writers that you the quote here imagine a universe where Stephen King and Agatha Christie collaborate to write a book you gotta be happy with that right yeah I was I was was blown away by the quote and I have to say because I haven't read lots of horror the only thing is I haven't actually read lots of Stephen King and I have to be very open about that but I know he is an amazing writer so yeah that was a huge huge compliment so when I saw and it was a really interesting way of kind of marrying the two together because I think people yeah. saw sort of those horror-esque elements the yeah. darker side and then obviously with the sort of more of murder mystery of Agatha Christie and it's something I wouldn't have put together so when someone had it was like yeah that's actually a re- great description well there is a lovely crossover because so many of the people that listen to our show and so many of the people that follow us on Instagram you know yeah. a regularly regularly sanatorium is is cropping up there and people just go oh my god have you right. read this are you 
you able to lose yourself in a book? Because what's coming across is how passionate you are about reading as well as writing, which I think is where you're so connected yeah. to the words and your and your audience. Are you able to pick up a thriller and lose yourself in it? Or are you always kind of now looking at the, the tricks of the craft? And <laughs> Well, actually, it's a sign of a really good book for me that I don't do that. That's actually a really good, good question, because I think you do become more sort of process orientated and thinking, oh, how did they do that? Or, mm. But yeah, I've just read a book actually called A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham, which yes. blew me away. And it just, I think it deserves to be huge. Um, yeah, here in the UK and in the US, I think it was, did hit the New York Times bestseller yeah. list. But yeah, that's the first book in a while, actually, where I was just, oh, it was dark. It was moving. It was, she does so many things, but I didn't think about it. It was only at the end. I thought, well, how did she do that? I was so caught up in the narrative and it's amazing. She's kind of writing the book about the South and it's kind of in swampy country, Louisiana. So you have this kind of a world that I know nothing about. And I think that's probably when it is a story or a geographical location, I'm the same kind of in a Netflix drama. If it's about a world I know nothing about, I love that. I love learning. And you kind of feel transported in a way that kind of a gritty UK drama. It's kind of, I have enough of that here. (laughs) Um, I (laughs) don't necessarily want, I like things to be escapist. And that book, I read that over the holiday and I, I was blown away. And yeah, that for me has been the first book in a while, actually where I didn't think about process. I was just, this is an amazing author and I can't wait to read more of her books. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's on, that's on my to-be-read uh, shelf at the moment because yeah, it oh, just... I'm I... so jealous of someone reading it for the first oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> There's lines in there. It's kind of, she writes very lyrically and it's kind of, it's got it all, it's got characters you remember. It's yeah. got a really dark plot. It, yeah, just, I'm jealous. <laughs> well, I get, but well, listen, it sounds like you're also describing Describing your amazing book there you know it's and and again I love that what you say that jealousy of someone reading something for the first time you know when you can go back and go oh my gosh oh you're reading that you're just at the beginning and (laughs) I want to this is going to be life-changing and then sometimes they just look you go oh yeah okay fine you know all right okay (laughs) but it matters doesn't it I remember working with a colleague a few years ago and I just read A Little Life. And um, I was like, oh, you're reading that? She's like, yeah, I hate it. And I'm like, oh, well, I, I can't talk to you anymore. I'm sorry. That's just, yeah. And I'm judging you on that. But yeah, yeah, but that's when you're passionate about books. That's what yeah. you do, but right? It is really hard, isn't it? When you've got someone in mind that you think would like a book. And if they don't connect it, they go, and I say, oh, have you finished that book yet? Yeah, it was okay. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I okay. wanted you to feel what I felt about this book. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, you sit them down and interrogate them and go, right, now exactly what, what what's wrong with you, first of all, okay? Because, yeah. yeah, it's not the author, it's you, all right? <laughs> I remember I read Ken Follett. I think it was, yeah, it was, it was a while ago, but it was Pillars of the Earth. And it oh, was, yeah. I just yeah. loved the kind of detail within the book. And I remember giving it to my husband and he enjoyed it, but didn't, yeah, mm. infuse in the same way. And I was gutted because I just wanted to discuss everything about that book. <laughs> <laughs> I think my wife had a similar one because when I lent her the sanatorium, and uh, I think at one stage she just looked at me she went can you stop looking at me <laughs> I, I don't know if you did that with your husband but you know you're looking at them to just yeah, go yeah. What, what are you thinking Which right now you <laughs> exactly but that's because Sarah it, it matters and it is important and um, thank you for just you know writing a book that absolutely transported me gave me the escapism I needed and but also really, really touched my heart as well. Oh. And um, 
it was a real real joy to talk to you oh that's a great summary thank you that's really like I love hearing how people respond to the book and yeah thank you (laughs) so uh the retreat is going to be out we're going to be having our heat wave and that is going to be the book that we're going to see bookmark people summer right <laughs> yes fingers crossed lots of people read so <laughs> yeah, will do sarah listen it's been an absolute joy thank you for your time oh thank you for having me on king size insights was presented edited and produced by matt robinson find us on instagram at king size podcast music firestorm by last picture show remixed by brian southworth turner And all King Size episodes are available on Spotify and iTunes.